Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a worldwide community of people who are using the practices of mindfulness, compassion, forgiveness, and generosity to heal the pain and suffering that addiction has caused in our lives and the lives of our loved ones. This podcast is for all those interested in and all those already practicing refuge recovery to find freedom from addiction of all kinds. To support this podcast and your refuge recovery, please donate using the link in the show notes. Unlisted recording. There it is. For people who have questions, we record it. And uh, welcome to the third Thursday Refuge Recovery World Services uh, opportunity to have some conversation, any questions, any um, discussion about any of our principles around the program itself, around the guiding principles, around the structure, uh, recovery questions, anything, Q&A with me. And um, thanks for joining me. And the floor is open. What do you want to talk about? You can raise your hand and I'll call on you. Uh, no, I have, I do have a bunch of questions that I've kind of collected. So if you, if anyone doesn't have a question and you need a question, I got some questions for you. <laughs> well, you can start us off, Vanessa, go ahead. Uh, well, it looks like Richard has his hand raised. How about just, that? I don't want to hog all the limelight here. Oh, Sebastian. See, all I had to threaten with is taking over That's the right. meeting and everyone's showing up. That's right. Then we could leave. Right. Anyway. So thanks. Thanks for doing this, though. And thanks for the opportunity. Um, so this question has to do with affinity groups. They're starting to develop, um, and I've been to a couple, and they're really good. And the question I have has to do with, aside from the five essential elements that are necessary for refuge recovery groups, how much autonomy do the affinity groups have in changing the language at the meeting level? Um, and I, and I can give examples if you need it. It's part of the essential elements to um, only use the language from, from our book. No, no, I'm not talking about the essential elements. The essential elements would remain the same, right. aside from those. No, but much... I'm saying that one of it's part of our essential elements that um, readings and what happens in meetings is only from the Refuge Recovery book. So there's not, not a lot of leeway to change language or start editing the book or... Okay, I'm not, I'm not expressing myself very well. Okay, um, the question I'm trying to formulate is the uh, secretary script, which is does not include the readings of the five essential elements. Uh, the way the secretary does the introductions, how they refer to uh, sharing at the meeting, the use of the chat line, the, oh, yeah. other, the other stuff that's talked about at the meeting level. Right. How much latitude? Uh, groups have, um, you know, my sense is, and um, Vanessa and Sebastian and I have been working on editing some of that meeting format. It sounds like that's what you're talking about, the meeting format script. Yes, yes. Uh, meetings have autonomy um, to play with uh, the how meetings go, how the 
um, you know, introductions happen, whether or not there's tag pass or raising hands or calling on people. There's a lot of decisions that group conscious in meetings can, can make. Um, uh, we're in no way saying like there's some sort of fundamental, this is the only way to do a refuge meeting. It's one of the reasons why we created the essential elements. You can say like, as long as the meditations are from the book, the readings from not, no outside literature, um, within that structure, then, you know, people can change the format of the, you know, how you run the meeting. And it might make sense to, to change the format and how you run the meeting in some uh, circumstances. So there is some, uh, there's lots of leeway for that. Vanessa has actually made up a um, script that we've been going through and editing where she put in bold the stuff that can't be changed that is part of the essential elements or guiding principles. And then, um, and so you can read through it and you'd be like, okay, we can't change that and that and that. But the rest of this, we could actually change some if, if we wanted to, as long as it stays in line with, with uh, you know, the uh, guiding principles and the, you know, and the book. Okay. Well, maybe after seeing the, the script that Vanessa and you are working on, maybe you'll be clear what to do with that. All right. Thanks. Okay. And Sebastian. I didn't want to leave him out. And Sebastian. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sorry. Thanks, Vanessa. You always got my back. <laughs> but I just want to say one more thing, Sebastian. It's, I know you know this, Richard, but it's just so important that... Um, you know, people don't take it upon themselves to like the secretary doesn't just start getting creative and changing stuff. Uh, that everything that wants to be changed has to be brought to the group, discussed yes. in a business meeting. Yes. There needs to be some consensus around this is what we're thinking about changing and why and how we believe it fits within the guiding principles. And so that it's, you know, that, that's all, you know, just that it's make sure that the group uh, does it together. I know, uh, I think you were part of the process at the um, Sonoma meeting when they were making some changes to the script through the business meetings. Right, we, I, I knew about that, but it's good to clarify it for everyone's knowledge, thanks. Sebastian, go ahead, jump in. All right, thanks. Sorry, I was, I was hoping Vanessa would throw in some questions. I didn't wanna be, I got a ton of questions and, I don't want to hog this stuff up, but I guess I'll start off with, uh, you know, I got a bunch of questions about the guiding principles. Uh, some of it's just been like through talks that I've run into uh, at different meetings. I kind of have like a way I understand them and uh, I've heard other, uh, you know, perspectives. So, I, you know, kind of looking for some clarity. So one of them would be on uh, like guiding principle number four. There's a thing in there that says that, um, we are, as volunteers, we are to uh, abstain from alcohol, recreational drugs, and adhere to our process addiction bottom lines. So I got a couple of questions of that. I'll go one at a time. Hopefully, other, I'll go back to the end of the line if somebody else got questions. So I don't just go through all of them. But uh, part of it is that, you know, when, uh, when we're talking to uh, secretaries and stuff like that and different groups, uh, we tell them that uh, they can vote and they could even vote to have zero time clean to hold some positions. But then that would, it sounds like it kind of contradicts that guiding principle. So I was kind of wondering how we go about that. Is it that they can vote to zero days or are they to uh, abstain from alcohol and 
stick to the process addiction bottom lines? Like, how would you kind of clarify that? I don't want to give a, a definitive answer uh, to that right now. My, my first thought is um, it can't be zero days. No, nobody who is actively um, using can hold a service position. They're the reason why um, we give a suggestion of, you know, 30 days, you know, 93 months, six months, a year, is that it's actually very important that the people who are secretarying and being of service in meetings are in recovery, are abstaining. So um, I don't want to come down too heavy on like, you, you know, that, that that's something uh, that can't be changed. But I have a personal feeling that it shouldn't be changed too much, that people should have recovery time uh, before they get into the service positions. And when people relapse, they should give up their service positions and let other people take over. And then, you know, when they have the, you know, 90 days or six months or whatever it is, you know, again, open to a service position. Um, so is the reason you, because it's not in the essential elements that you have to have of, oh. a, a, a certain amount of time. Oh, sorry, you barked out there the for me. guys were saying um, groups could vote. So, oh, um, Noah, you, Noah, you got choppy there for a little bit, but Sebastian, do you mind if I jump in for a second? Because this Please. happened to me in real time. So, like helping people getting their service, uh, their business meetings started, there's like a couple things they have to kind of like talk about so that they can get their meeting going. And one of them is like, okay, these are the suggested guidelines to which we recommend for um, abstinence. Um, do you want to, uh, do you want to recreate those, you know, to be like this meeting only needs two months for secretary or whatever it is of sobriety time, or do you want to waive it based on a case by case basis, which a lot of people are doing because someone wants to be secretary and they have like four months, but the requirement six, suggestion is six. But what this came up in is that someone wanted to put their hat in for a um, contact list person and they were on their first day of stage had just relapsed the day prior and they wanted this and the meeting because they had voted that these are just suggestions we're going to waive it on a case-by-case -case basis that meeting voted to waive it for that individual person and so they had zero days and that person said i might relapse tomorrow too and the meeting discussed it entirely and said, you know, we think it'll actually help to get you here. And so it was totally done legitimately through like a group conscience. But like, is that a, like, and then it got a really gray because there was this conversation around like, it's obviously clear when someone like relapses on drugs or alcohol, but if someone has a, you know, their, their process addiction is eating and they overeat when do they lose their service position? So it's kind of like, where does that go? Um. Well, you know, the way that it's stated is, our, you know, people that are in those positions are practicing abstinence. So um, also, I don't think that we want to downplay food addiction. Um, you know, if somebody's in recovery for food addiction and they have a relapse, um, same as an alcoholic having a drink, you know, like, let's not make a hierarchy of like, well, drinking is bad, but overeating isn't if that's what you're in recovery for. Um, you know, everyone is committing to their 
their recovery. And so I don't, I wouldn't make a distinction actually between a, a food relapse and a drugs and alcohol relapse. I dig that. Yeah, that was going to be part of the question too. Um, and then I just kind of was wondering too, because like, you know, we're helping a bunch of new meetings get started. And, you know, one of the things we do tell them is that like, you know, you guys can make up your own clean time. Uh, and one of the things we do say is that like, you know, if you want to know clean time, uh, so like, should we not be using that herbage or like? My, my, um, my, person, my personal encouragement would be um, let's not, uh, when you guys are helping people start meetings, don't um, lead with permission to disregard the suggestions. Um, actually lead with like, these are the suggestions, you should totally follow them. <laughs> and then, you know, if people push back and they're like, well, hey, there not there a loophole over here? Then you can say like, yeah, there's kind of a, you know, group conscience loophole. But everybody that's like, we have this opportunity with all these new meetings starting to create a really solid foundation. And all of the suggestions that we have are based on really solid experience with, it's better if people have a bit, time, bit of time before they get into the service positions. And it's great for people to just be members before they're put into the roles. Uh, and, you know, there's even this term meritocracy that you actually have to sort of like earn the right to be of service in that meeting you know, by staying sober for a while and, you know, coming around and, you know, or staying in recovery. Um, so I don't feel super strict about it. I don't think World Services is going to be super strict about it. We're pretty open. Um, and of course, there's going to be, uh, you know, it's more difficult, like with the service positions online. Because like, if you're brand new in person, like you can be a greeter, you can be a setup person. You can, you know, there's all of these service opportunities that don't have any recovery time requirement. Like show up, help set up the room. Show up, you know, uh, clean up after the meeting. For the online meetings, there's not a lot of that, right? Like we actually need the people who have the Zoom login stuff to be somewhat responsible. Of course, we're all addicts. We could all relapse, that's true too. But hopefully if you've been uh, you know, doing it for a while, you're less likely than when you're new and you might not quite have a foundation and recovery yet. Um, so that would be my encouragement. Like it's fine to be open, but lead with like, hey, you guys should do it this way. This is what it's said. <clears throat> no, that's, that's definitely helpful. And before I go back to the end of the line, I'll just say that like, well, on the descriptions for secretary, door person, and uh, group rep and stuff like that, the suggested clean times aren't up there anymore. Like they used to be. So I don't know if that's something we want to update. Um, I know they, they, I think. Where did they go? Um, I'm not sure. I guess with the new forms that were written up, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't have the suggested clean times on them anymore. I, I was just thinking right now on the secretary one. It, if, if I recall, I think we had a conversation about it and we were all going back and forth, back and forth. And it was eventually like, let's just say these are suggestions. And it wasn't like that. It was like each group was going to make it up on their own. So maybe we revisit that. Yeah, I don't I don't recall encouraging groups to make it up on their own, but that, you know, World Services has some very clear suggestions for this stuff.
Hope that's helpful, Sebastian. Absolutely. Michelle, go ahead, jump in. We'll come back. Sebastian has another question, and so does Vanessa. Uh, like every other person, and then those guys. Um, hi, good to see you. Like, uh, I'm a group rep for a meeting, and and in a couple of meetings and in a couple of places, I've been hearing this thing when in search of a secretary that, oh, we can't choose so-and-so because they don't have a mentor. And I kind of like went through all the guidelines and what's required for a secretary and what the guiding principles says. And it says nowhere in there, there's any kind of other requirements than just abstinent time. Do you have any thoughts on that matter? Or am I right in telling people like, no, I mean, like you don't have to have a mentor to do this. What if somebody's mentor, God forbid, no longer exists on the planet anymore. You know what I mean? And that's kind of where I'm at with that. You know, I don't know. What do you have to say? You Except are, I, I uh, from my understanding, you are correct. That there's okay. not a prerequisite that in order to be of service, you have finished your inventories and you have a mentor and you're mentoring several people, like none of that. All of that is, is good ideas, right? <laughs> Those are all solid yeah. things that we're doing here. But could somebody who's in between mentors, uh, secretary meeting? Totally. Sure. Or if like somebody's still just like, you know, feeling things out and yet they are offered a service position, you know, it might keep them around. Okay. Thank you. That's really all I had. So Noah, I am gonna add, so everyone knows how we're following up on that. I'm gonna add that to the agenda for the next <clears throat> board meeting to discuss um, service uh, sobriety requirements or suggestions and what we wanna do around that. So we'll have an answer for the next time we have a Q&A. Okay, sounds good. Thank you, Vanessa. You want me to throw you a question? Sure. Do I need a bell to lead the meditation? Um, apparently, it's in the book uh, <clears throat> at the end of the guided meditations that someone should ring a bell. And then um, somewhere along the line, it came into the script that you should ring a bell once before the meditation and three times after the meditation. That is not in the book. That sort of just kind of crept in there from some well-meaning Thich Nhat Hanh student or something. Uh, and we have been, you know, spreading that. Um, I, I put it in the book. It's in the meditation scripts. I would actually, personally, my own opinion is like, we should get rid of the bell bells, all of them. And I know that that's not, um, there's mixed feelings in the Sangha about that. Um, so I will say for sure to this question, do I need one? You don't need one. You can absolutely lead a meditation. And then at the end where it says ring the bell, you can just say like, you can now open your eyes. <laughs> the meditation is over. Um, the bell is not necessary, and I think it's actually a little bit problematic, um, especially when we're all at home and it's not like we're coming together and the meeting has a bell. 
um, for the online. And it's like, well, who has it? And I'll ring it for you. And it's often, you know, too loud or uh, it feels like there's like a little bit of like, um, I don't know, some hierarchy created of who has the coolest bell. And it's just like, there's, there's nothing spiritual about bells. Um, it's, you know, it's total spiritual materialism to be like, and I'm not judging any of you. <laughs> Don't take this personal. If you're like, hey, I fucking love my bell. That's okay. Yeah, Vanessa, it's okay to love your bell. Um, but it just, I just feel like in the spirit of peer-led, in the spirit of easy access, low, um, you know, low, low threshold for like being able to have a meeting, being able to the less paraphernalia, uh, the better. So if you have a bell and you like to ring it, fine, but not necessary. Richard, go ahead. I just wanted to make a comment. It also takes on, it starts to take on the, uh, the feeling of being a rite or a ritual which we don't need, I think. One of my concerns also Vanessa, what else? I think Sebastian beat me to the punch there. I'll go after him. I'll get back in line after him. Oh, no, I'd rather you go ahead. I'd rather you go. <laughs> cool. Okay. Um, I'll just pick another one. Um, is it okay to ask people to say a little something about a particular non-related refuge recovery Buddhist topic as an icebreaker when doing introductions at online meetings? Example, what is your favorite food or what is your favorite word? I want, I so badly want to say no but it's not actually up to me or world services. The group would be able to take a group conscience about, about that. Yeah, I, I totally want to be able to say no, but I, I this, I don't, you know, what happens in the meetings can't be so hierarchical. Like if the group conscience, you know, wants to kind of be silly and say like, we want to bring in some like silly, what was your favorite record in high school? You know, I don't know. It feels like it's going away from the core intention, which is uh, we're here to recover and not to kind of, I get the sort of icebreaker and the importance of getting to know each other, but you know, we're not, we're not here to have fun. This is serious business. <laughs> um, but it's also okay to be lighthearted and have some fun with it, I guess. I don't, you know, group, I'm going to land in like, that would be up to your meetings, group conscience, but. And then uh, just in the same vein, that that same answer would probably cover the question, is it okay to play music in meetings? <sighs> music might be considered uh, outside literature. And I feel like um, 
it would be kind of dangerous to play music in meetings because of preferences and because you know, you put on some music in a meeting and some people are gonna love it. And they're like, oh, this is my jam, I love it. And there's gonna be other people that like hate it or like, I'm not going to that fucking meeting ever again. They play metal or whatever, you know, like, or even worse, they play meditation music. <laughs> so my, I, I don't know, like, I think we, there may be an argument could be made that's against the essential elements that is kind of outside of the realm of what we're doing in our literature. And my fear would be that it would um, perhaps alienate some people in the meetings. And that our primary purpose is to kind of make this thing available, you know, no matter what kind of music you like and no matter what kind of music you hate. So I think it'd be very dangerous to play music in meetings. Misty, uh, you had a comment about that? Yeah, I do. Thank you for maybe recognizing that. But that music usually only gets paid, played, played during the Donna part to um, fill in the time, time gap. So, hey, bust out your credit cards and hook up with the PayPal. I didn't know if it wasn't framed. The question wasn't framed that way. And I didn't want that to get away from that. From that. It is the, it's the same thing. It's playing music during a meeting. Okay, cool. And, um, I mean, I don't want to, I mean... I'm curious, like all of you are members, like we do we need to put that in the um, essential elements that it's not cool or do- we, Well, you know? if you're defining uh, music as outside literature and that same thing, then that covers it. Does it make sense that it's outside literature to people? I mean, music and literature is a little bit different, but- it's kind of right. It's lyrics. It's it's <clears throat> music is its own form of literature, of its own form of expression. That's a there's like a, a teaching in it <laughs> that's being given depending on what you play. It's expressing something for sure. Harlan, what was your thought on this? Well, being here in Oklahoma in the Bible Belt, um, I think it could be extremely. Uh, a turnoff uh, to some of you Californians if we played one day at a time, sweet Jesus. Just, you know, I mean, I, I'd, I'd say no way music. Yeah. Personally, I would consider it literature. Anybody have the counter argument? It's not fucking literature. Richard has it. It's not the counter argument, but what I do is I go back to the intention. I question the intention. What's the intention behind it? If the intention is to send a message, yes, then it's literature. If the intention is to have fun or to, uh, you know, bring joy, for instance, to the meeting, or you have to question the intention as you would with any other action, you go back to the motivation or intention behind it. So I don't know if you can make a rule about this. Well, you know, but this is the thing about the intention. My intention can be great to play some Slayer during the meeting, but there's going to be a whole bunch of people that don't like Slayer. And then they, won't come, and then they won't come back to that meeting. Which is, which is not great. That's, That's not their great. choice. Yeah. They, could, they, they could object to something else at the meeting besides music and not come back either. But it's the same thing Harlan said. If I play some like satanic death metal, 
uh, it would be the same as playing some Christian gospels, you know, and are we open to both, you know, and, and do we want to open it to like all of a sudden uh, there's kirtan music happening in, in meetings and there's, you know, I, I think it's just, um, it's not a good, I think it's not a good look. Of course, that's my, that's my um, I think, I think uh, Rachel is not able to, to speak because she's listening, but she wrote in the chat window, um, the music was originally suggested for during the Donna break to give folks a chance to donate and support World Services. It's just an FYI and she thinks it's fun. Yeah. I, I think it's dangerous. I think that meetings should, um, I mean, we'll talk about this at World Service. Maybe it's even something we'll talk about at the next kind of conference convention. Maybe this is something that group reps will be able to, you know, when we have group reps vote on this stuff in the future, when there's a kind of, um, and I guess for now, you know, leaving it to a group conscience of your meeting, but um, yeah, you hear me. My feeling is uh, there's more risk than reward. So just to clarify real quick, because uh, one of the meetings that I helped out, uh, the group voted on doing music during the Donna portion. Uh, and they actually went back and double checked to make sure it was cool with everybody like two months later. And so uh, when we meet up on Tuesday, should I tell them uh, to stop playing music during the Donna stuff? No, I mean, you know, it's not, I, I don't want world services to come down, you know, with a dictate from on high to say that um, you all hear me. My view is that it's a, you know, it's a slippery slope. It's a dangerous thing. And we need to have some conversation to see if we really want to uh, consider music as outside literature um, and whether we're going to define it as that or not. If as a community, there's a kind of you know, majority consensus that music would be similar to literature. It, you know, it's a message that's being sent at the meeting. Um, then at some point we might have to say like, actually music is outside, but I don't think, I, I don't want to decide that right now, but this is an important thing for us all to um, think about. And then for us to, this is one of the great things about creating the infrastructure of the group reps and uh, region reps. And, you know, these are the kind of things that we can get together and hash out and vote on and, you know, argue about. And so that it's not coming from me, it's coming from a, you know, a democratic process in the Sangha. Uh, where are we? Who is first? Michelle, are you, I think? Or, or Rick, yeah. Rick, are you still, do you have another I'm, question or is your hand still up from before? No, I had just a point I wanted to add about the the music thing too. It's something to consider as, you know, I mean, if it's going to be sort of an, a sanctioned sort of thing or an allowed thing, the time needs to be considered as well. Because like if I played a tool song, that's eight minutes. You know what I mean? And so like, you know, sometimes it seems like the music is, uh, it goes on longer than I would like, and it's just more of what somebody likes. You know what I mean? That's all I got. How long we're gonna play it for? Like, I'm not in favor of it, but that's just me. Richard, go ahead. I had a non-music related question. Um, there has been the beginnings of um, making merchandise with the refuge recovery name on the merchandise and being sold 
um, by some meetings or a meeting, I'm not sure how many actually, and other meetings are talking about doing this. And I just would like to hear some clarification about uh, the, um, the programmatic uh, organizational and perhaps legal ramifications of this happening at the meeting level. It's been happening um, kind of from the beginning and I was always real loose about it. Um, Rachel, I know she's at work so she can't talk, but she, if she was here, she could talk about how like her, the Seattle Sangha at, I think maybe the first or second and third and fourth refuge recovery conferences, they like made t-shirts for some of their meetings, like the gutter monks meeting, like they, you know, and they made, and they showed up to kind of represent at the conference, like the Seattle refuge crew was in the house and they all had these gutter monks uh, t-shirts on. And my own feeling was like, oh yeah, that's kind of fun. That's cool and fun. Um, you know, I mean, the logo belong. The logo and the name is trademarked and belongs to Refuge Recovery World Services. And so, uh, legally, you would need a, a kind of a copyright. Um, there's some, you know, legal term for you know permission to use this trademarked, copyrighted thing. You would need permission from the nonprofit to do it. I think the bigger issue is like, if it's fun and the bigger issue is where's the money going? You know, is there an yep. individual who's paying hundreds of dollars to make shirts and then selling them? And then is there profit? Is it going back into the community? Is it staying with the Sangha or is somebody making some money off of refuge recovery? That would be, um, you know, against the 10th guiding principle uh, members should never use the RR name for personal prestige or financial gain. So it would not be cool if somebody was making money off of it. Um, but if it was done in a way that money was then donated to world services or, you know, into that meeting itself and help support that meeting and they bought books with it and gave books, you know, there is, there's a way to probably do it with integrity, with permission and with integrity. Um, but with all of these things, with a, you know, a large peer-led community, it could, could go sideways. So at this point, um, World Services, the board of directors has discussed it a little bit, but we haven't landed uh, anywhere in like saying like, no, we have to stop this. Um, I, as I hope it's clear, I'm pretty hesitant to be too controlling um, but at the same time, uh, I just want to always look at like, well, what's best for the community? And um, is there ways that it could cause harm? Richard, go ahead, follow up. I was also thinking about the financial consideration and I would make a suggestion that the position of treasurer could be uh, instated or reinstated for the meetings that are doing these kinds of um, money-making or uh, uh, I don't know how to call it, fundraising ventures yeah. and have that and have that person abide by the um, conditions set down by the service position of the treasurer. So there's somebody who's responsible. That might make sense. 
so we don't have a uh, you know anyways we don't have a firm position on this um but we you know we we have some concern about it i have some some concern about it but i also think it can be totally cool and and fun in the right if it's done in the right way Sebastian, hand. Uh. You know what? I, I'm st I still got a bunch of questions, but Kelsey has her up, and she hasn't had a chance to ask anything yet. So, Kelsey, please. I'm gonna let her go. Hi Noah. Hi Sangha. Um, I have a couple questions. Um, the first is about whether I'm really nervous because there's been some drama happening and it is heavy on my heart um, because I care about our groups and Sangha very much. Um, and I think that some people perhaps who have been around a long time and have certain opinions and we all have our opinions um, come off kind of as bullies sometimes to other folks. Um, so that's just a statement I'm making to like kind of set the context for why I'm feeling nervous. Um, there has been reference to like an inner Sangha quote unquote in some areas. And I don't believe that that is how um, we're structured. I, I think we have the, you know, the secretaries and we have the business meetings and it's supposed to be group conscience and, you know, if it's geographically located, who can go and who can vote and different things. Um, so the first question is, is there such a thing as a quote unquote inner Sangha or maybe there used to be and I'm not aware of it. I'm, I'm new, I've been here about nine months. Um, and should we be using decisions that have been made in that old structure if that indeed was a thing? Um, and then the second question is about kind of going back to that service and clean time uh, question at the beginning. Um, I know some folks that are very passionate on both sides of the issue of MAT, medicine assisted treatment um, as harm reduction and um, whether we have a stance officially on MAT um, being allowed or not allowed for service positions. And I personally believe that um, it's really stigmatized and that some of the folks in our community who have shared that they are on that um, have been treated unfairly because of that. So those are the two big questions that I have. Um, for the first one, thank, thank you, Kelsey. For the first one, um, you pointed to it there used to be an inter-sangha before the split um, with, uh, you know, when half of the meetings were talked into becoming recovery dharma, uh, there was an inter-sangha. And actually a lot of that split happened through the inter-sangha. Inter-sanghas just sort of like took whole groups, whole areas of, refuge recovery meetings and change their name to recovery dharma. So as we have rebuilt, as we're in this process of rebuilding refuge recovery after that, there is no inter-sangha anymore. 
It doesn't, it no longer exists. It's one of the top things on our uh, to-do lists. Um, first, you know, the way that we're doing it right now is first and foremost, we want each meeting to have a representative, a group rep. And as we get to a critical mass, mass of group reps, then we can get together and say, how are we going to do this um, regional intersangas? Are we going to do state by state? Are we going to do uh, areas, West Coast, Central, Mountain, East Coast? Um, you know, in the original way when we created the intersangas, I think we split up North America into like, I forget what it was. It was like 12 areas. And it was like the intersangas for these 12 areas. And then there was, you know, cities had an intersanga and then there was an area and it was like, you know, California, Nevada, you know, it was like these sort of like uh, several state areas. Um, we're gonna do that again, but it, at this point it does not exist as far as like from world services, from the Sangha, uh, there are no inter-Sanghas. Right now, there are just refuge recovery meetings that are autonomous and um, should be electing group reps. And as I said, I'll you know, restate, when we get to a critical mass of enough meetings with enough reps, then we can get together. And it's one of the things we will start the conversation about at the conference in June how are we going to do this and create intersangas and create uh, a service structure for the democratic interface of the Sangha with the nonprofit with World Services? Can I jump in for a second, Noah, as well? Yes. So, um, because I was also hearing like the word intersanga and Kelsey said intersanga too. And I know that there's like this paradigm kind of in any organization where you have newcomers and people who've been around for a while, and especially it's difficult in this organization when things are always changing. But um, I think the goal, and correct me if I'm wrong, Noah, but the goal in holding these like Q and A's, putting everything online, um, having greater transparency is so that everyone has an equal playing field, that everyone has access to the same knowledge like I don't know more than you know Misty Dawn knows and if I do my I really want her to know where I'm finding those resources so she can learn too because it's really empowering that we're and so all are welcome all people I think should have access to the same knowledge base and um, help each other with finding it so that no one's going this is how it's done and you say well it's not on the website so I'll ask it the Q&A and maybe it needs to be researched more but um we're trying to be a little more yeah Thank you, Vanessa. I was saying inner, like inside, and that was coming from folks who have been around a while. So saying like, well, this is something that had been decided by like the inner group, or at least that's how I was hearing it. Yeah. And, but they weren't referring to a, a business meeting necessarily. Okay. Yeah, no, it, it shouldn't happen. You know, all, all groups, all meetings should be democratic, should be uh, decisions being made at the um, business meetings. I, I thought you were referring to inter, not I-N-N-E-R, but I-N-T-E-R, which was the model that we were trying to reproduce and that we may, you know, again, try to reproduce, which is from, uh, you know, like the 12-step uh, programs where there's an inter-group, an inter-group rep, an inter, uh, you know, uh, group areas. So uh, refuge does need some kind of structure like that. 
But um, no, absolutely, there shouldn't be some sort of inner sangha cabal of old timers that's calling the shots. That's bullshit. You know, like uh, you should be able to participate and make, uh, you know, be part of that process for sure. Um, so um, the and second the question was about, um, Remind, say it again, Vanessa, um, you were gonna say, or Kelsey? Whether MAT, does oh, World Matt, services Matt. have a, um, for holding a service position, can someone be using MAT? Um, I guess that's something that probably uh, we should have a stance on, huh? <laughs> um, at this time, we do not take a stance on this issue. I guess it's, you know, that, that's something, again, I don't want to just throw my opinion in there and say, that's the law. I want this to be something that comes from uh, a process. So I think that right now we just have to say, we don't have a policy about it. So if anybody says there's a policy against it, they, they are incorrect. Uh, and if anybody says they're, it's totally okay, they are also incorrect. We just don't have a policy on it. Thank you, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Rachel put in the um, chat, I don't know if everybody sees it, but that in Washington, there was um, an intersonga the, the old intersanga before the split that voted in 2016 um, that there was no medically assisted treatment uh, in holding service positions. And then the question is, does that still hold even though that intersanga no longer technically exists? Um, Seems like it's something that should be revisited rather than a decision from years ago from an intersanga that actually split in half and um, you know certainly should be revisited rather than saying it still holds from an old decision that was made. Can you please clarify? Because um, I, I haven't never heard of the acronym uh, MAT or medic. Like I I have an idea of what medically assisted treatment is, but in my head that's like. Um, the, the pill that someone takes so that when they drink, they get sick? Or are we talking about people who use cannabis to help them along, you know, maintenance, marijuana maintenance program? Like, what are we talking about here? Um, Suboxone and the like of opiate replacement medicine, you know, medically, you know, opiate replacements is the way that I generally hear it talked about. Like, so with that... Would that be like methadone for heroin? Is that like what we're talking about? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, think it's, I think it's that it's a, a prescribed, you know, you're under the care of someone. I guess, what is the um, anabuse? I guess anabuse would also be on that level. I mean, I, I know that the concern 
um, uh, is that you know some of the opiate replacements um, are still altering people a little bit, um, and so that's you know like an abuse. I don't think gets you high at all. Just makes you really sick if you drink alcohol. Um, but I think you know that the, the suboxone and um, some of those people are getting a little high on. Anu? Thanks, Noah. Um, actually, along those lines, I'm also wanting to ask about um, what about people who are interested in um, ayahuasca ceremonies and microdosing? Is there going to, that might be helpful to include that in your discussion about MAT and your policy? Um. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's so clear. We're an abstinence-based program. So, um, you know, uh, plant medicine, psychedelic, um, you know, I know people can, can make an argument to say that it's not recreational, that it's spiritual, ceremonial, uh, maybe even therapeutic. There's also all of these studies now being done with LSD and uh, psilocybin and uh, ecstasy and um, so I know it's a, like, it's kind of a tricky thing in recovery because it's, you know, and there's doctors, I was speaking to somebody just recently who was saying like, Hey, my psychiatrist was saying, maybe I should do some LSD. And so it becomes, you know, this sort of like, if it's prescribed by the doctor becomes trickier and trickier when we have more and more doctors who are, uh, maybe not completely understanding addiction and you know, suggesting a psychedelic experience um, for somebody who's not an addict, which might be really wonderful and reparative, but for somebody who is an addict might be dangerous and lead to uh, a relapse that will kill us. So it's, it's a really tricky um, reality that we're, that we're kind of coming into with medicine and recovery and, you know, psychedelics. Um, because, you know, there are places where you could, can get a doctor to say like, yeah, you should do a bunch of ketamine every day. <laughs> you know, like, and, uh, and it might really help you with your depression and you're also gonna have some psychedelic experience on it, you know. Um, and, you know, anecdotally, I know uh, people in recovery who've done ayahuasca, plant medicine ceremonies and been fine and continued their kind of recovery process. And I know more people who just, you know, decided that after that kind of psychedelic plant medicine ayahuasca, that they weren't really addicts and they went back to using and they went back to addiction. So I think it's a very dangerous thing for us to, to mess with personally. My, my personal opinion is that it's, it's quite, um, quite dangerous for, for addicts to mess around with. But again, you know, as far as world services really coming down with a um, stance, we don't have one yet. 
And again, I want this to be a conversation that the Sangha has over a long period of time um, before World Services says this is what was decided at the 2025 convention, you know, <laughs> um, rather than it being my opinion. Misty, go for it. Um, I've been to a meeting where, um, I, I, I don't mean to draw this um, topic out, but I've been to a meeting where someone who I know is in a service position, I know is a mentor, um, casually mentioned that they drink, ugh, and I'm going to, kabucha, kabuchi, I never had it, but I know that has a little bit of alcohol in it. Where, where does, do I work? What's my, what, where is it, what's my responsibility to react to that, respond to that? Do I approach that person? Is, is, what is it called guys? Kombucha. Okay. Um, <laughs> is that okay? Because I'm thinking like, I was like, I remember one of the moms offered me some of that. My husband goes, no, that's booze, dude. I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, my, you know, my own, my understanding is, is that there is a such thing as like hard kombucha where there's some real booze in it. Uh -huh. It's like really fermented and it's like hard kombucha. Um, but the, the general kombuchas have a very, very low, it's like, um, somebody said it's not so different than drinking like day old orange juice or something. Like you'd have to drink seven of them to catch, you know, to equal a half a beer. Cool. So I can just stay out of it. Yeah, it's a very low 0 0.05 or something like that. Um, so I don't think it's considered a... Uh, an intoxicant on that level, unless you're like beer bonging them. I mean, okay. it's, it's like it's the same as a non-alcoholic beer, you know, as those, they, they, well, the non-alcoholic beers used to have 0.05. And now there's all of these non-alcoholic beers that have zero, you know, zero, zero. Um, but it's, it doesn't seem, it's not, it's not, it wouldn't be a relapse kombucha. Sebastian, go for it. Awesome, thanks. This is dope. I like all the questions and stuff that's brought up. Uh, I'm gonna have to save some of my questions for next month, but um, I guess a quick one would be like, um, uh, the guiding principles, why are they important? Why do we gotta read them at each one? They're super long and I just wanna come in and meditate and share and stuff. So uh, um, <laughs> that's something that comes up. You could have answered that, Jesus because they are our humble attempts at creating guidelines to, create, to maintain group unity powerful enough to guide us through any conditions. And, um, you know, Refuge didn't have these in place and we hit some difficult conditions and it created tremendous havoc in our community. These are the guidelines that will help us avoid anything like that happening again. And so we all need to digest them and, um, and, and live them in our groups and, and support them being read in our groups. Um, and they're all like good Dharma principles. So, um, you know, like not only listening to them as far as like group organization, um, but, you know, unity and rotating leadership, democratic decision-making, um, 
you know, all are welcome. Like these are all good, you know, the groups operating independent, except for in matters affecting other, like it's so good for people. You know, we have no opinion on other programs, traditions, religions, Remember, making sure that that is said in meetings. Uh, I was I secretary at Thursday morning meeting. There was a little uh, AA bastion going on at our morning meeting, which is okay. Like individuals can have their opinions, but it's important for somebody that's, you know, to come in and hear like, okay, the program itself, the community itself doesn't have an opinion, isn't going to bash other programs. Individuals might express their opinions, but this is, I just feel like this is important stuff and we need to keep it, to, to keep the unity, to keep the uh, strength of this unifying, um, you know, reminders at all of the meetings. Yeah, no, I dig that. And I guess I'll throw something else in there too. One of the other questions I had was about like number eight, right? It says refuge recovery groups I have no opinion on other recovery programs, Buddhist traditions, religions, spiritual philosophies, political causes, organizations, or institutions. I always read that to think that it was like in this room, like us as a group in this meeting, that that's what it applies to. I've also heard a different perspective where it's like, it could also be read as that maybe it's world services or something like that. So I'm kind of curious, like, who, um, you know, because like, let's say there's some, um, some sort of stuff going on in the news. And then all of a sudden everything starts going towards that. So then, you know, people start sharing a lot about that. Um, so I've heard this one used as like, hey, we don't wanna hear about like the election going on or something like that. So remember uh, the eighth guiding principle, but I could also see the other point of view where does it mean the group or does it mean world services? And then the same, like you were saying right now for like AA and stuff like that. The spirit of it is, is that it would not be okay for the meeting, the group, the secretary, the group rep, the um, phoneless person, all of the service commitments that make up the group and that host the meeting. Uh, it would not be okay for the meeting to like organize and say like, as a group, we're going to go, you know, uh, picket uh, Narcotics Anonymous. <laughs> Like that wouldn't be okay. Like the group can't go do that, right? That would be against the, um, against the tradition. Individuals in meetings saying like, hey, I'm suffering. Uh, I'm thinking about drinking because of what's happening in the news and or, you know, or in religion or, and for someone to, because of it's part of their recovery to comment on how they're affected by what's happening in um, religion, spiritual philosophies, politics, organizations, and institutions. It's okay for individuals to say, hey, I'm affected by this. And it makes, you know, and I'm aversive to it. And it makes me, you know, want to use. It makes me, you know, and I want to say it so that I don't act on it. Um, so I think that there is, there's a way it's not the group, and it's you know this is not saying world services, although world services also has no opinion on these other things. But this is your meeting itself is not allowed to organize and get political, or organize against or for anything. That's the awesome. Singleness of like we're here just to help each other recover.
we're just about out of time, but I want to hear from Rachel Savage, who has some experience with some of this stuff. Jump in. Sorry, I don't know how, I want to apologize. I don't know how skillful it was to put some stuff in the chat. So if it wasn't skillful, my apologies, please forgive me. Um, I was working and trying to listen at the same time. Um, so uh, just some stuff about the Intersanga. We formed our Intersanga in, in Washington um, in 2014, actually, because of this very issue of, of um, MAT. And someone was chairing a meeting who was on a lot of medication, this kind of medication, and was like nodding off and appearing very um, intoxicated. And so we got the meetings that were going on in the area, got together and we formed this intersaga so we could decide as a group what to do about it. Um, because I called Refuge Recovery and at that time, Dave Smith was, was the executive director and he didn't have an answer for me. So we got together um, and the Intersanga has always been voluntary for anyone who wants to join. So the people that are still, the meetings that are still in the Intersanga, it's their choice whether they want to join and, and make decisions like this for our area. And so we just felt as an Intersanga, as a group, that um, it wasn't great for refuge recovery if someone who was chairing the meeting that was it's an abstinence-based program or was the secretary that appeared loaded in any way. We welcome people that are on, anyone who wants to come. This is not about stigmatizing. This is not about alienating or, or judging anyone in their recovery. This is just about what's good for the group of refuge recovery um, when people come that they don't see people that are running the meeting that appear loaded. And so we voted on that. And the other thing is, I just want to say in Seattle, our intersanga is what actually kept us from going recovery dharma. In some other areas, it was flipped because of the intersanga, but that did not happen in Seattle. So as far as I know, our intersanga is still intact, but we'll have to talk about that uh, if that's not true. Um, and, yeah. And I, 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 I you want to say something about the t-shirts too? Oh, that we we got permission for that as a fundraiser for refuge recovery. We um, and we donated all the proceeds, um, never wanting to use the trademark without permission. And I think it's fun. Anyway, that's just my two cents. Direct. You know, there, it was a different situation back then too because um, I owned the trademark individually. And so Rachel was able to call me and say, can I make t-shirts? And I said, yeah, sure. She said, I'm going to make t-shirts and donate the money to Refuge. And I said, sure. I had the ability to say that. I no longer have that. I, I no longer own it. I donated it to the nonprofit. World Services owns it. So I can't say yes or no. This is something that has to be done through the board. And I think even better done through some conversation with the board and the group reps, you know, so that the Sangha is making these kind of big decisions and it's not coming just from a handful of people. So a, a lot of this stuff has to be revisited. And it's going to take a long time, right? Like the, I, I'm somebody who likes them. Um, I'm, um, I like to answer questions <laughs> uh, and be like this and this, but a lot of this stuff, like I can't answer. We have to just hang in there and do this together over the period of the next decade, you know, and in 10 years, uh, when people ask these questions, it'll be like, yep, nope, this is, this is how it's done here. But right now it's still a little bit like a moving target a little bit, some, some of these questions. 
And also um, some of the things that I'm doing, um, I'm keeping track of all the questions that are asked. And then I go back and listen to the podcast and I timestamp each question. And eventually once I have a little log of that, I'll make it available so that you can just tell people, you know, the answer is at podcast number four, minute 2345. So that'll be, we just are collecting data. Thank God for Vanessa's organizational skills. <laughs> well, we're just really about out of time. Is there a burning desire? I knew you were going to say burning desire. Somebody <laughs> before we end. Kelsey, your hand is still up. Did you have a last thing? I do. It's not like urgent or burning desire, but um, for parking lot time. Yeah. Yeah. For parking lot time that happens after meetings, is that um, just kind of optional or mandated or should we really be focusing on newcomers? Because often during the meeting we say, you know, if you didn't get a chance to share or if you have questions about mentorship, like stay after the meeting to ask about that. And then I know in a lot of meetings, you know, some of us, like know each other really well and can kind of jump into talking. Um, but I, I just wonder if there's any like official, you know, guidance on like, this should be geared towards newcomers, at least at the beginning, or the, does the secretary have special responsibility as well to kind of make that space and say, Oh, hold on a minute, you know, like before we all catch up on our lives and, you know, crosstalk, like, let's make sure we're focusing on the new folks. Um, and yeah, does the secretary have additional like responsibility there? It would seem like it, but it's so tricky because of course you wanna make new people feel welcome and included. And due to the pandemic, you know, people are excited to chat with each other after the meeting and it can, um, you know, and this whole Zoom thing is so challenging since only one person can talk at a time. And uh, so I don't have a real answer for that, Kelsey, other than like, um, yes, of course, if possible, you know, really every, all of us a responsibility to be welcoming to the new people. And, and if the secretary is the person that's kind of running the parking lot after time, you know, kind of say, hey, before we start chatting, are there any new people with questions? And let those kind of take priority over, you know, I love your hair today, <laughs> comments or whatever are go going on. But I don't think, again, we don't have like an official, the secretary has to do it this way, but hopefully they'll become a culture of people just understanding that it's important to welcome the new people. Things I knew, just got to cut. Um, chat box is totally crosstalk too, you all know it. <laughs> <laughs> totally crosstalk, but it's, it's okay, it helps us connect. Um, I think that's enough for tonight. Thank you all.
And we'll continue the conversation every third Thursday. And this is super helpful to me um, and to World Services that these questions get brought up. I'm sorry, I can't answer a lot of them. And there's, you know, maybe I'm contradicting myself sometimes, but it, it's just part of the process of us creating this thing together. I'd also like to, um, if I can, if you have any questions, I'm not, they're not guaranteed to be asked, but I can add them to the, the little agenda um, and explain yourself as much as possible in an email, but you can email questions at refugerecovery.org. And even if you have like a question that you don't want asked at the Q&A, like you just have a general question, um, we can answer it in between these meetings. Um, so questions at refugerecovery.org. May any goodness that comes from our discussion be for benefit of all those suffering from addiction and uh, may each one of us recover and together may we make this process of refuge recovery available to all who seek it. Thank you for your um, participation today. And I hope a bunch of you are gonna come and hang out with us <laughs> at, the, uh, at the conference down here. I know it's maybe you know, time and distance and finances will prohibit some from coming. But um, if you can, if you can afford it and you have the time, it's going to be great to be together and having some of these conversations, these important conversations. So hope some of you make it. Thank you, Noah. Welcome. Thanks, Noah. Thanks, Noah. Thanks, Thank Vanessa. You. All right. Bye, everyone. You're welcome. Bye. Thank you. Thanks, Noah. I, I don't want to leave. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye, Misty. Bye, Misty. So June 17th is the next one. Okay. Lawrence, Sebastian, I'll see you in a minute. Please. You want us to just get off and you guys can just stay on here? Thank you for listening to this episode of the Refuge Recovery Podcast. To learn more about our program of recovery and to connect with others on the Refuge Recovery Path, visit our website, refugerecovery.org, where you will find information, meditations, and links to both in-person and online Refuge Recovery meetings. This podcast is brought to you by Refuge Recovery World Services a nonprofit created to support our network of refuge recovery groups around the world. Thank you for listening.